The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and uh, open with me to the book of Galatians. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 is where we'll be today. And uh, we're going to finish up this series that we've been in, this little mini-series called The Church Gathered for Glory. And uh, we started this, actually today will be the seventh. We, when we talked through this and we're planning through this series as, as a staff together, uh, this was a six-week series. And um, like any good pastor, I had to make it longer, so I added a week to it. And uh, uh, Greg and Ethan had nothing to do with, with this. I just sort of added it on my own. But I uh, feel like this is something that, uh, that God has led us to. This series, I think, in the life of this church has been good. Uh, we started out. Uh, defining the church and uh, defining it according to not popular opinion, but according to God's word, realizing that the Bible is true, that it's God's word that has been given to us, that it is the final arbiter. It's the final say on everything. And so we, we defined the church according to God's definition. And then Greg came and, and he preached about attendance and our need to be here to commit. And, and uh, glad we didn't put that one on Memorial Day weekend, right? Because uh, we got lots of folks going, gone today and uh, we hope they're having a great time uh, while they're away. Uh, we'll just practice church discipline, which was uh, Greg's sermon uh, last week on all those who are not here. Everybody in favor say, no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, because we're all jealous, but uh, after Greg preached that sermon on attendance in the heart, uh, Ethan came and preached a, a sermon uh, on worship and Jesus being at the center of, of, of our worship together. And then uh, I came and, uh, and preached on missions and us going to our neighborhood and the nations. Uh, and then I preached the worst Mother's Day sermon you'll ever hear in your life on the ordinances, on the baptism and the Lord's Supper. And, uh, and then Greg came and preached last week on church discipline. And uh, didn't Greg do a phenomenal job last week preaching through Matthew 18? Um, I told him I felt like it was the best sermon I had ever heard him preach. And uh, I just want to challenge you, if you've not heard that, um, go and listen to the podcast. Uh, go and if you weren't here last week, didn't hear it, uh, go and listen to the podcast and uh, listen to why we practice uh, church discipline. But today I want to, to add one more sermon to this series. Um, and I'm going to do so from Galatians chapter 6. And today we're going to talk about bearing one another's burdens. And uh, I've titled this sermon, Share the Load. Uh, Share the Load. Um, I, I want to just read this passage very short, and, uh, and then we'll just kind of walk through this together. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is a short little passage, but there is a lot to say uh, out of this passage. How fitting that this comes on the heels of uh, Matthew 18, looking at church discipline last week. Let's just pick this apart, sort of phrase by phrase as we walk through. First opening sentence there in verse 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. When, when the Bible here says brothers in a New Testament context, it's not only referring to the men of the church. This is, you could just as easily say brothers and sisters. 
This is a call to those who have come to know Christ as Lord and Savior and who are filled with the Spirit. This is a call to all of us. If anyone is caught in any transgression. Now, we hear that phrase, if anyone's caught in transgression, and we hear it as as if we were standing around the corner. They didn't know we were watching, and we just caught them in something, and it's our job to jump out and say, ha-ha, caught you. Anybody ever have siblings? Anybody ever do that to your, to your brothers and sisters or have that done to you? I'm telling mom, right? That's not the idea here. The idea here is, is let's jump out and surprise somebody and catch someone in the act, and it's more entangled. It's, it's more, I, I've, I've gotten into something, and I'm entangled in this, and I can't seem to work my way out, but I'm looking for a way out. If we come across brothers and sisters within the body of Christ who are entangled in some transgression, it is a responsibility of all of us to help them get out. Think less morality police looking for sin around every corner. I don't think you could possibly listen to Greg's sermon last week and, and walk away thinking that Greg was advocating for morality police, that we were to be looking at each other, just waiting for one another to mess up. Instead, don't think morality police. Instead, it's more the picture of coming up on someone who's drowning. You ever come across someone who's drowning? I just talked to a young lady back here who's, uh, who's got a new job this summer, and she's going to be a lifeguard at a pool in Spartanburg. And I pray that she de- doesn't have to come across anybody drowning uh, this summer. I-, I pray that she just gets to sit in the sun and enjoy herself. But this is the picture. It's the picture of coming upon a brother or a sister in Christ, and, and they are looking for a way out, but they're drowning in their circumstances in this transgression. Then the Bible here in verse 1 says, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual. We also hear this in a wrong way. We hear you who are spiritual, and we think, oh, this means that within the church, there's this Christian version of the Navy SEALs. And like they're, they're just like, they're going to come out from under the water just slowly, and you never knew they were there. And they're just going to come in and save everybody. And there's this group among us that's just, man, they're just like, hyper, super spiritual. And that's not what the Bible is saying here. Rather, what Paul is writing here in Galatians, he's talking about anybody in the church who's walking and living by the Spirit. And we know this because this is the context surrounding these two little verses. Every believer, if you look back at chapter 3 of Galatians, uh, in, in, in verse 5, every believer The moment they come to believe after hearing the gospel, they are given the Spirit of God. The Bible teaches that the Spirit comes and and indwells everyone who by faith trusts the message of the gospel, trusts Christ. This is what is said here in Galatians 3 verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit, capital S Spirit to you, and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. And the implication there, this was rhetorical. Paul's not looking for an answer. He's saying, look, you came to to have the Spirit residing within you by hearing the gospel and believing. Do you now think that you hold on to the Spirit or that you get more spiritual by what you can do? 
It's not what's being said at all. Every believer has the Spirit. If we look further at context, chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 16, every believer is commanded to walk by the Spirit. Verse 16 of chapter 5 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now let me just answer, the, answer a question that may be on your mind. What does that mean? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, there are some things we can, we can take as inferences by this little phrase, walk by the Spirit. One is that when, when the Bible here in chapter 5, verse 16, tells us to walk by the Spirit, it implies at least two things. It implies direction. You walk by the Spirit, meaning that you go where the Spirit's leading. You make decisions based on the Spirit's guidance. Now, sometimes we open the Bible, and, and we open it, and we say, God, watch your will in this situation. And sometimes we come across a, an explicit, directly revealed command from God, this is God's will in my life. I am to go and make disciples. That's God's will for you, your life as a believer. But other things we come to, and we say, God, I don't know whether I should take this job or not. God, should I take this job? And I told the membership class this morning, you can look through from cover to cover, and you're never going to find your name and the name of that company and an answer whether you should go to work for that, that company. You're never going to find it. It's not in there. But God gives biblical principles along the way to guide. God uses his spirit to nudge us along sometimes into obedience in certain things. So the first thing this implies to walk by the Spirit is that we're following the Spirit. We're going where the Spirit is leading us to go. The second implication is that the Spirit empowers us. That we're not just walking where the Spirit tells us to go, but that we're walking in the very power that the Spirit is giving us to go into those things in those areas. The Spirit gives us power. We're not leaning on our own strength. Do you know how many things, I mean, Look, I'll take you guys out of it. I'll take the pressure off you for just a second. Do you know how many things that I routinely don't do and wouldn't do that God calls me to do because I get caught up in leaning on my own, my own strength? I look at a situation and I say, whew, that's tough. I just, I don't know that I can do that. You know, and let me put the pressure back on you. We're all that way. If we lean on our own strength, we will not go where the Spirit leads us to go. But if we are fully aware that we don't have the strength to do what God calls us to do, but that God provides the strength to go and do what he calls us to do, then we begin to lean on him. And we say, God, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't, I, don't know. I don't have this ability. I don't have this skill. But God, you've called me to do this, and so I'm going to step out on faith. Then we're going where the Spirit's leading us to go, and we're doing so in his power, knowing that we step out there, and if he fails, we've failed. But there's a third thing. The Bible talks about, when it talks about a walk, oftentimes what the Bible is referring to is not single actions, but a pattern, a pattern of a person's life. And we see this when, when here he talks about walking by the Spirit, a good place to see this is in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's not one of us in here 
There's not one of us in here that has those things perfectly all the time. Are any of you always loving? Look, if that's the case, I want to go to Cracker Barrel with you today for lunch. Because I want to watch you as you stand for 45 minutes waiting for a table only to get there and it not be cleaned off and you got to stand in front of people and, and wait on them to clean it off. And then you sit down and you wait forever for menus and, and, and I want to see you be loving. Sometimes we nail it, don't we? But sometimes we lose it. Now, Paul here and, and the rest of the Bible, when it talks about walking in the Spirit, is not saying a person who walks in the Spirit is someone who's perfect. How many people have there ever been that have been perfect? One. His name's Jesus. If there had been two, he would not have come. You, you won't be perfect, but what we're looking here for is this pattern, someone who has a pattern in their life of going where the Spirit leads and depending on the Spirit's power to do it. This is what it means to walk in the Spirit. This could also mean, when, when the Bible here says in this verse, in chapter 1, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, not only could it talk about those who walk in the Spirit, but it could also be referring to those of you who look at a brother or sister who's struggling and entangled in some situation, in some transgression, and you know what they're going through because you have been there before. And God, by his grace, delivered you through it. And now you can look back at a person and say, Brother, I can help you because God helped me. Sometimes God allows us to go through things, allows us to have experiences so that we're equipped to help those in the future who will go through very similar things. See, here's the deal. God never makes mistakes. Ever, ever, ever makes mistakes. And this is especially true in our life experiences. God, what, what we go through, it is deemed necessary that we go through. God doesn't ordain sin. But God, in his sovereignty, controlling all things, somehow works his perfect will so that what we go through is not wasted. He doesn't make mistakes and he doesn't waste anything. This is a great thing to know of God. He doesn't waste any of our experiences so that we will be equipped to help others. David Platt, who is um, who's the uh, director of the International Mission Board, who was pastor of the church at Brook Hills for a, a lo lot of years, uh, one of my favorite pastors uh, because he is so incredibly passionate uh, about God's glory among the nations. David Platt said, the greatest evidence of the spirit-filled life is love for one another. I think that's true. The greatest evidence of a spirit-filled life is love for one another. We look around at one another, and if we don't have love for brothers and sisters, especially when they are caught, entangled, drowning in some struggle, then we must ask ourselves, do we have the Spirit? Are we Galatians 3, 5 believers? Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, as we continue to walk through verse 1, should restore him. 
Now, this is what Greg preached on last week, so I won't belabor the point, but literally here, to restore him, literally it means to put in order, to restore to its former condition. Think about, you know, you have an accident in your, in your car. Maybe you rear-ended someone or someone out of the blue hit you. It's a fender bender or whatever, and you, you know, take that thing to your insurance company, and they say, okay, we want you to take it and, and take it to a body shop. You put it in the body shop if it wasn't totaled, and, and, and your mechanic, he calls you and he says, your car's ready, and you go pick it up. You're expecting when you go pick that thing up that it's going to look like the car you had prior to the accident, Right? That's the picture here, that we're coming across believers, brothers and sisters in our community that are living broken lives. They're broken. They're drowning in this this struggle that they're in. And we come across them, and those who are spiritual, who are filled with the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, are to restore them. This term is is a medical term used in ancient Greece, and it literally meant to, to set a broken bone. Or to put back in place a dislocated joint. Sometimes we come across people and their life, the the fruit on the outside of their life, bears witness to the fact that they're broken. And we as a church have the responsibility to restore them. Well, how? How do we do that? Well, the Bible here so faithfully in the wisdom of God gives us the how. Number one, also in verse one there, with gentleness. We do so gently. We, we do this with, with just this care that we're, we're making sure that we're handling someone not too harshly. Now, isn't with gentleness sometimes a relative term? Because some people you can say the softest word to, and it's all it takes. Other people, you got to scream at, Right? before you'll get their attention. Now, we've got to, when we approach, when we confront, we do so according to Matthew 18, one-on-one. If they repent, we've gained our brother. If not, then we go back with two or three witnesses. If they repent, we've gained our brother. They've been restored. But if not, we go and we tell it to the church. And if they repent, even there, then we've gained our brother. They've been restored. But if not, then we are to treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. But we do so in a gentle way. Well, how do we know that we're doing this in a gentle way? Second, how? By watching your own heart, the text says there in verse 1. By watching your own heart. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, is what it says. In other words, we check our motives. Before we go to our brother and sister, or our sister, we check our motives. Why are we going? Again, context, verse 26 of chapter 5. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Sometimes we can look at a brother or sister and we can be a little bit glad if they're entangled and drowning and broken. To our shame, we can feel that way. We can look at them and say, it's about time something like that happened to them. And it reveals the depravity and the wickedness of our heart. It reveals the self-righteousness in us. We check our motives before we go. We don't want to go conceited so that we don't provoke one another or we're going out of envy lest we too be tempted. But the third, and this is where I'll spend the rest of my time this morning, is 
We don't just go in gentleness watching our hearts, but we go with the, with the intention of bearing one another's burdens. We go to bear one another's burdens. Verse 2. Verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The word burden there is a word that means a heavy weight or a heavy stone that someone has to carry a long way. It's not a simple, hey, take this over there. It's a I'm carrying this thing, and I don't know when I'm ever going to be able to sit it down, and I'm weary. In other words, I'm drowning. I'm broken. In Greek mythology, Sisyphus was, was, uh, was forced to push an, a huge boulder up a hill only to watch it roll down again and to do this forever on repeat. And this is sometimes what a burden can feel like, isn't it? You're under the weight of something medical diagnosis or a consequence of some sin and your burden that you're carrying, you're sorry for, for maybe it was the result of a transgression. You're sorry. You have repented, but you're still carrying that consequence and you think, when will this ever end? This is sometimes what a burden can feel like. Jesus condemned the Pharisees for not bearing one of the, the, the burdens of others. Jesus said about the Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens and, uh, that are hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move one finger to help. So here's some realities uh, about burdens. Number one is, we all have burdens. Every one of us have burdens. Some are the result of choices that we've made. And this is specifically what it's talking about in verse 1. If anyone's caught in a transgression, meaning if anyone has sinned and their sin looked good in the beginning, promised all sorts of things in the beginning, but didn't deliver what they thought it would, and now they're just drowning in the weight of this wickedness, and they can't seem to find their way out. Sometimes burdens are the result of choices, sinful choices we make. Other times, though, burdens are no fault of our own. They're just simply things we are dealt in life. They're a physical ailment, some sort of an emotional or or mental disorder, a family crisis, the loss of our job, wayward children. There could be all sorts of things that could be really no fault of our own, but they're the burden that we carry in life. Most of the time, the way the burden shows up on the outside, this is key. Most of the time, the way the burden shows up on the outside is not the burden itself. You think, you see someone and you say, man, they just seem to be angry all the time. Anger is not their burden. Anger is the way the burden manifests itself. I have this tree in my backyard that... Um, I think it's like Japanese maple or something. I really don't know what it is. Benny and Kay planted it years ago, and I'm thankful they did. But there is, a, there is a one limb in the middle of this tree that is dead. And this thing is just full of these red leaves all the way around. But it, it just kind of looks like a man who's going bald on top, but he's still got hair around the sides. You know, it's just that's how this thing is, you know. Either that or it looks like a big nest for like the biggest bird that will ever fly in my backyard, you know. And, and, uh, and this one limb is, is dead right in the middle of it. Well, that limb is not the problem. It's whatever caused that limb to die is the problem. 
You see what, I'm saying? see what I'm saying? This is sometimes we see the result of burden and we think, man, that person's just angry. And we don't realize what it is they are carrying that's causing them to be angry all the time. It can manifest itself in our marriages, it can manifest itself in, in our finances. It can manifest itself in the way we treat our children or our jobs or in our school and our, our, our health even, the way we take care of ourselves. Or, uh, it, it, can, it can manifest itself just in how we react with people in general, our, our overall attitude or demeanor. So all of us have these burdens. Secondly, though, is this. None of us were meant to carry these burdens alone. None of us were meant to carry burdens by ourselves. We sometimes think that, uh, but that by bearing the burden alone and not bothering anybody else, that that's a sign of bravery, when in reality, it's a sign of pride. It's a form of pride that says, I don't need any help, I'm self sufficient. It's a form of pride that may say, why should I help somebody else? They made their bed. Let them lie in it. And then it's a form of saying, I'm self-righteous. This attitude of I'm brave because I bear my own burdens is really pride. Ecclesiastes 4 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. It goes on and it says that a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The Bible from the Old Testament all the way through the New, God has, has designed us to be placed in the context of community. And through the gospel, we have been placed into a spiritual community called the church. And we have a responsibility to bear one another's burdens. That's why, number three, all of us have burdens. None of us were meant to carry those burdens alone. Therefore, number three, God has given us the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, then all rejoice together. We honor these graduates this morning, and we celebrate with them. We're thankful for their accomplishments, and we're all glad in that. We do those things together. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 45, in the early days of the very first presence of the church, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions as any had, and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had need. They were bearing one another's burdens and it, at cost. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 5 and 6, for even, this is Paul talking, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn. Fighting without and fear within. What Paul's saying is, look, everywhere I go, I'm being persecuted. It's either on the outside, I'm constantly having to put up with persecution, threats of imprisonment, stoning, all these things. But I never get any rest. Even if there's no one physically persecuting me, I'm struggling with this inner fear myself. And I, I never get away from that. But look at what Paul says. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. 
What Paul says here is, I was struggling under the weight of a burden and I prayed. God didn't comfort Paul by by his prayer. I think partially he did. I think Paul was comforted in the fact that he could turn to God and pray. But specifically, explicitly, God comforted Paul by sending another brother, by sending Titus. And this is the reality that we see in the church, that all of us have been called to bring comfort to one another, to bear one another's burdens. Matt Chandler, uh, pastors of church in in Texas, uh, said, what does a community that has found their identity in Christ look like? They engage one another lovingly when, when they get entangled, and they're willing at the drop of a hat to bear one another's burdens. If we are truly a church, if we are truly a church, and if we are truly those who have come under the law of Christ, who've been given the Spirit and called to walk by the Spirit, then none of us can look at another brother or sister who's under the weight of a burden and say, not my problem. That's their problem. It's as unbiblical as it could be. I want to call Eric Austin up, and uh, he's going to share with you. We've been telling you that we're going to tell you about a new ministry um, that, uh, that we're excited. We've prayed, and I'm going to let him tell you all that process. But Eric's going to come and tell you about uh, just a tangible way that we can be obedient to bear one of those burdens. Thank you. Good morning. We've got... Uh, the name of the ministry that we're launching uh, as of right now. And the name of that ministry is One Another. Um, we, over the past six weeks, we've heard a lot of verses about one another. One another um, is mentioned quite frequently uh, in the scriptures. So what exactly is the ministry? What is one another? One another is an enhancement of our benevolence ministry. Is taking it uh, three or four steps beyond what we uh, currently have in place. It's, it's really neat when somebody can share with you how a vision was born. And I want to take a few minutes to tell you how this all came about. Um, this past New Year's Eve, my wife Carol and I were having dinner with a couple of families from our church here. And we got to talking about various ministries in the church here at Abner Creek. And uh, various ministries that each of us had been involved with um, in our lives. And I was fortunate enough to be involved with a ministry um, very, very similar to one another. Um, In fact, uh, one another is modeled after that uh, for a number of years at another church. And uh, when I shared that, uh, with those two families uh, that were with, uh, with us that evening. Um, I didn't think anything else about it. I just said, you know, hey, this is what we've done, and this is the way it worked, and this is the, the good that was done. Um, and then next Sunday, uh, after that, I was walking down the hall, and Pastor Scott runs up and puts me in a, you know, a chokehold and throws me against the wall and says, tell me about it. And so, um, not really, but it, it, it did lead to uh, several discussions, which in turn led to many, many meetings over the past five months with uh, various members of the church leadership. And then 
a ministry was born. And it's, it's really, um, really cool. I got to tell you how it works. So one another, if we have a, um, the, the main focus of one another is regular attenders of the church. You notice I did not say church members. I said regular attenders of our church. Our focus is our church body. And so if a person is in need, a legitimate need that is directly uh, affecting the quality of life, they can call the one another line and um, a counselor will answer the phone or return your call and we'll discuss that need. If it's the first time that person has been through, just say, for instance, that I'm having a problem making my power bill this month and I call the one another line and I talk with the counselor. And it's my first time that I'd ever been through the ministry. I, I, I tell the situation to the counselor, and if the funding is available, then the, the counselor or the one another ministry meets that need. If it's the second time through or any subsequent time through after that, we'll still help you. But we want to know a little bit more about what's going on. We're going to ask you to bring your checkbook. We're going to ask you to bring your budget if you have one. Not that we're being judgmental. Not that we're getting in your business. But you're asking us for help. And we want to help you to be able to work your way through these crises. And so it may be that that person doesn't know how to do a budget. We've already got financial counselors in place for this ministry that have dedicated their time saying, yes, I'm a certified counselor. I will help those people that need help. We have got spiritual counseling in place. If it's a spiritual issue that's causing you to have problems with your budget, if it's a, an addiction problem, we've already got the addiction counselors in place. We have the infrastructure in place already to help whatever it is that is causing you to not be able to meet those needs. Because the financial problem isn't really the problem. The problem is usually much deeper than that. The goal of the ministry is to help you to become a better disciple to where you, in turn, can help other people. There are a couple of instances. I, I worked in this ministry for about six or seven years, and there are three instances I want to share with you to, that will get across to you exactly how it works and the effectiveness of the ministry. I can remember when we first started going to that church and they told us about the one another ministry. And um, I said, hey, that's a pretty cool thing. A friend of my wife approached her and she was all in tears because the day before their septic tank had backed up and they didn't have the money to fix it. So I said, hey, I just heard about this one another ministry. I'll go tell them about it. That's what it's for. Well, three days later, they still had issues. And I remember getting so angry. Why would they not help? How could they not help? And so I had the right intentions. But I found out later it was the wrong thing to do. I said, we don't need them. I'll take care of it. So I called a plumber. I sent him over there. We fixed their septic tank. Life was good. Well, come to find out. The husband had a gambling issue. And the church was 
dealing Matthew 18 with him. And they were lovingly trying to encourage him to take corrective action and not enable him and not bail him out. And by me flying off the handle and doing what I thought was the right thing, I short-circuited a disciplinary action. Another instance where it did great good was we had a family in the church when I was privileged enough to be the deacon over the ministry that the, they were a homeschool family and the husband had a stroke and he was a, in their 40s and mom stayed home and was doing a great job teaching her four kids. Well, now she also had to help take care of her husband and the one another ministry at that church was able to support that family for over a year. Mortgage payments, power bills, water bills. That family could not have made it. That's good stuff. What would they have done? That's what the body of believers is for. That's where we are to try and help other folks. Now, we also were helping another, and I'll wrap up with this one. We had an, uh, a case where a man lost his job. And he was doing every bit of his, you know, his part to find another job. And after a couple of months, his savings ran out. And he came to us and he said, I don't know what to do. I've got a mortgage payment. I've got this. I've got that. I need help. And we had already helped a little bit in the past. So he was past the, the first time threshold. So we started digging. And come to find out, he had, you know, half a million dollars sitting in a 401k. Now, the conventional wisdom is, is you don't touch that till retirement. But dude, you got a problem. <laughs> you know, that's money and it's yours. He just wasn't thinking right. And so we were able to help him see the right way to handle that without tying up resources in the church um, that are better used somewhere else. And so... That's the kind of ministry that we're talking about doing. It's not free money. It's not a handout. We're not enabling anybody. In fact, what we're doing is we're attaching accountability and love. At times, people need an arm put around them and encouragement. They need, they need encouragement to, to work their way through. Sometimes life happens. There's more month than there is money. It's happened to every one of us. Sometimes... It is our sin that has led us to where it is. And it's our responsibility as your family to help you work your way through that. So I want to thank you for your attention. And I look forward to um, working with you guys over the coming months and years. And Buddy Hall uh, and myself will be at the back of the church, um, just right back there after church, if you guys have any Further detailed questions would be happy to try to answer. Thank you, Eric. Uh, I really appreciate Eric's, uh, again, life experience and just the passion for the body of Christ and uh, just how God works through a simple conversation uh, to bring about the launch of this ministry. You're still going to have questions. We understand that. That's why Eric and Buddy are going to be back there. Uh, We're an open book with this. Uh, We're not... We're not uh, trying to kind of sneak some things under the radar. There's accountability in this. The infrastructure's in place. The goal of this 
is to help bear one another's burdens with this, this passage in mind. That sometimes you get entangled and you need help. And sometimes it's easier to try to hide those things than to bring those things out into the light. And we as a church have a privilege and a responsibility to one another to not condemn, not throw stones. But if a person is at that place where they're ready to repent, then we come alongside and we bear the burdens. We, we, we've gone the steps of, of Matthew 18, church discipline. That's one thing. But now we're at that step where we've got to bear one another's burdens. There, there's probably still some, some questions I'm sure you'll have even after today. Feel free to ask those. I want to wrap this message up, though, with that in, in, in sort of the forefront of our, our, of our sight line today. There's probably going to still be some issues. There's going to be some fear associated with one another. There's going to be some fear. Well, one of the questions you're going to say is, how in the world are we going to fund this? Where's the money going to come from? We anticipate that being the, the number one question. And the answer is, you ready for this? We don't know. How's that for honesty? We don't know. But we are so confident that God has led us here. We, we are so sure that God has led us to this. Both in the direction of his word and in the empowerment that he will provide. See, it could be that there's some of you out there that would like to help seed this ministry and get it started. This is not the this, this spill you hear on TV that if you'll just sow a seed into this ministry, I'll send you a little prayer cloth. There, there are no prayer cloths coming with this one another thing, okay? This is between you and the Lord. If you want to, if some of you can do this, and we would ask you to do it over and above your tithe and your regular giving. But this needs to be on top of. But if this is something that you say, God's given me the means and you have a heart to do this and you want to be obedient to the Lord, then by all means, we would be open to that. There's, it's no different than what we've been doing for years around here anyway. There's always been a benevolence line. You've always been able to give to that benevolence line and you're still able to do that. It's just now one another and it has attached to it this System of accountability that seeks to get to the bottom of why things are the way they are. Again, as Eric said, not so that we can sit in judgment over people, but so that we can truly help. Because we believe that oftentimes the finances are one of the first dead limbs that shows up in the tree. Another thing that might... Uh, might be scary in this is that bearing one another one of those burdens sometimes is a short process and other times it's a long drawn out on and on process and so we come into this thing sometimes not knowing just how long it will last the goal is though not that we just pick up people's bills and pay people's bills forever but that we bring people to a place where they can root out by God's grace some issues that are keeping them from being able to do so. There's probably going to be some pride associated with one another. Uh, one of the issues of pride says, I don't want anybody to know my stuff. And that will keep you in a moment of your drowning from calling this number. And your pride will get in the way. I don't want anybody to know my stuff. I can handle this myself. But the reality is you know you're drowning. 
And we want to encourage you and invite you to call the number or to send an email. When you walk out of here today, every family is, is going to be given a refrigerator magnet. It's going to look just like that, I think, uh, what, just like what's on your screen. And uh, we want you to take that home, place it on your refrigerator or somewhere where you'll see it so that it's there if and when you need it. But don't let pride get in the way. Let me remind you, none of us can thrive alone. All of us need the body. Being in a small group is crucial. Confessing sin to one another is crucial. As you've heard Greg and myself say, asking and being asked the question, is this true in your life, is crucial. That's why we encourage you to find a small group, find a Sunday school class, get plugged in there. One another is not intended to replace that. But it is, we believe, just as crucial if we're going to be obedient to bear the burdens of one another. We think this is a tangible expression of that, restoring those caught in transgression by bearing their burdens. Third part of this, though, that uh, when we look at one another and doing this ministry in Galatians 6, verse 2, there's not a better way for us to look like Jesus. There is not a better way for us to look like Jesus. You say, well, I don't know about that. Paying people's bills makes us look like Jesus? Romans 15, verses 1 through 3. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, himself, but as it is written from the mouth of Jesus, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. See, we look like Jesus when we bear one another's burdens at great cost to ourselves, because Jesus, who was worshiped and adored throughout eternity in heaven by all creation, when he looked at us and saw us drowning, entangled in our own sin, left all of that. Philippians 2 left all of that, humbled himself to come and bear the burden and pay the debt of all who would ever trust him. Church, we're called to share the load. I pray, I pray that God would deliver us from pride, that God would deliver us from this self-sufficiency, and God, that, that he would just make us a Galatians 6, 1 and 2 church. Let's pray together. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.